Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of PD and P Dubs Unscripted. PD, great to be with you today. Good to be with you, P Dubs. How's it going? It's going great on this Thursday, January twelfth, where we're recording this edition of a deeper dive. Yeah, so we're looking ahead to what you'll be preaching upon this weekend. Mm-hmm. So when you hear this, it will be after hearing your excellent sermon. Well, maybe it'll lend a little clarity about what I muddle through on the sermon this weekend. So uh, let's, yeah, we'll give it a go. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, when Jesus is identified by John the Baptist as a particular um, title that he gives that no one else gives him. And then it goes into a little bit of Jesus' uh, first disciples. So right. we're looking at John chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse and going through a little bit of verse 42. So friends, if you have your Bibles nearby, uh, grab them and open it up to John chapter 129 or your devices or your phones or your apps, whatever uh, is easier for you to grab and take a look at God's word. So uh, I'm going to start it off and then PD is going to pick it up halfway through. So verse 29, uh, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Picking up here in verse 35, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, so it starts out with like the testimony of John, of, uh, you know, who Jesus is. And he's like the first one who really says this, this phrase, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right, which brings back the Old Testament with the Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, that or the scapegoat, whatever you want to call that, where the people would put the sin on that person or on that goat or that sheep or lamb. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, you're getting right at it, PD, is um, the, behold the Lamb of God who takes away uh, that particular uh, Greek word, takes away, um, looking at my Lutheran study Bible means that um, it could be a bearing off, uh, getting rid of, or carrying away. 
And so what is what is he bearing off? What is he getting rid of? What is he carrying away? It is our sins. And right. like it is a direct reference to that scapegoat in Leviticus uh, 16, verses uh, 21 and 22. And uh, so I, I thought I'd read a little bit of that to remind us. If we back up to Leviticus 16, verse 20, it kind of gets into like what the priest will do with that goat and uh, what will be happening with that goat. And uh, verse 20 of chapter 16 in Leviticus says, And when he, the, the, the priest, has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall lead the goat he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So yeah, it's like that that scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase, you know, someone who's taken the blame for right. someone else. Right, and we see that in our society where we refer to people as scapegoats when we don't want to take the blame, so we pass the buck. And mm-hmm. something that you see even since the beginning of time, because you can look at Adam and Eve. Right. They kind of started the whole scapegoat of Adam blaming Eve. Eve blaming the serpent, mm-hmm. and the serpent really has nowhere to go. And even Adam almost blaming God, saying, you know, the woman you gave to me. Yeah, yeah, he blames blames the woman and God, I think. He's like the great deflector. But yeah, he, he's really doing that scapegoat. And uh, so putting, bearing up or carrying off, you know, we, we really see that in Leviticus of how this goat... You know, Aaron is placing both hands on the head of the goat, and he is confessing all the iniquity, sins, transgressions, and then it is let out into the wilderness. And uh, if you know, you think about Jesus, while he is called the Lamb of God, which, you know, he is the spotless, sinless lamb uh, that was used for sacrifice, he was also let out of town, you know, out on, you know, the hill of Golgotha, not necessarily the wilderness, but he was outside the city gate where he bore the sins of all the people. So it's almost like at the same time, Jesus is the scapegoat and the, the, the spotless lamb who, who will, whose blood will atone. Right. And that's like an interesting concept of how he can be spotless yet full of our sin. Yeah. The sin bearer. Right. And that was the whole point of that scapegoat was to be know, the most perfect that they could find. Mm-hmm. But obviously they weren't going to find the most perfect goat, and that's why, to me, it's always, that's why they had to do it annually to kind of refresh that covenant. Mm-hmm. But here starts that new covenant with Jesus once he gets crucified, the true Lamb of God. Right. Yeah, so a lot of Old Testament overlay here. and uh, But it is it is remarkable, as as we're kind of digging into, that, that Jesus is, is occupying both roles. I mean, here... Here, John calls him the Lamb of God. So right as as you were talking about earlier, it's the spotless lamb. 
you know, that probably takes the people of Israel back to the Passover, where they sacrifice the lamb and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them when they were, you know, in Egypt. And, right. Um, you almost be thinking that this was Matthew writing this mm-hmm. with all of his kind of throwbacks to the Jewish faith so that they could understand, hey, this is for us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then in the same sentence by that phrase, takes away the sin of the world, there he's... He's crossing over into the scapegoat, which, you know, is kind of cool that that Jesus really represents both, you know, right. as uh, he is taking on all sin, all of our sins, all the sins of mankind, and uh, he he is carrying that. He's shouldering that upon right. his upon his head. Right. That's and you think about even then, even as the high priest. You know, even add that hat on to what Jesus is doing, where he's the one offering that sacrifice as well, mm-hmm. just as the priests in the Old Testament would offer the sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, so it's like a a, a triple role right. there for him. And uh, so that that's really interesting that uh, John comes up with this. This wasn't something that no other human being we see uh, told him this, you know, this title. And um, that's when he uses that word behold, uh, that's a, a sign for us to take notice. I think we've talked in the past where I always heard, like, when I was in Greek, it's like, looky here. Mm-hmm. Is it hidu or hidu? Uh, Kaya do. Looky yeah. here. Looky here. Yep. Um, heads up. Keep your eyes open. Um, and it usually deals something with our salvation. Mm-hmm. When when the writers of the gospel, Luke likes to use behold a lot. Um, John does here too. Uh, I don't know about Mark. Mark likes Mark, to use the word immediately. immediately. Yeah. And uh, so, right. so he not only says it here, but then he reiterates it again the very next day when um, John was standing uh, with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by. And he says it again so that the disciples, like John's own disciples, will hear this. Um, And then they kind of get curious and start following him. Right, and that was like what stood out to me when I was reading that passage there. And I don't know why it stuck out to me this moment. was there in verse 38, and that's what I was looking up a little bit ago, was when Jesus said to him, what are you seeking? That Mm -hmm. stood out to me because it reminded me of what Jesus said to Mary and the women at the tomb at his resurrection later on in John, when it says, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Yeah. So I started to wonder, I'm like, because I know like the whom can mean what, what, like all those, it's not just one. So I started to look in the Greek New Testament, see, is it the same words? Same words, just different tenses being used there. Okay. So okay. I was trying to see like, I was like, you know, and it's interesting, it's John's gospels, both of those and mm-hmm. that. What are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Yeah. And me thinking like, what does that say to us in this day and age in 2022? Like, what are people seeking? Are we seeking that Lamb of God, or are we seeking other things? Exactly, and it really ties into last week being a weekend where we celebrated Epiphany, and the wise men were seeking Jesus. Uh, they were looking for the King of the Jews. And uh, where is he who has been born the King of the Jews? And so they were seeking, and we hear in our our day and time, you know, wise men still seek him. And uh, so that whole idea of from the wise men to John the Baptist, you know, uh, and 
you know, introducing Jesus to some of his disciples and Jesus turning around, what are you seeking? And then, mm-hmm. like you said, the resurrection, whom are you seeking? What, right. Yeah, it's a great question for us. Whom and what are we seeking? Yeah, because I would say if you ask a lot of people, it could be fame, money, power, mm-hmm. all those worldly things that we define as success, which is complete opposite of everything that Jesus kind of stood for in his ministry, like all the different things. Because you know, when you think about that in the old, with Jesus and his birth, people are expecting some grand, lavish entry, like mm-hmm. of a king. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have that. The only time he had that celebration was Palm Sunday, and that was short-lived. And it's, I'm like, now just thinking, I'm like, that kind of speaks to the things we seek in this world. All those things that we measure our success in are are short-lived. Yeah. In the eyes of, in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of God's economy, you're right. But we try to seek those things and Mm -hmm. maybe to validate ourselves, to feel good about ourselves, Mm -hmm. to maybe put or boast or lift us up and put down others. But it's just kind of that interesting, like, what are the people seeking in this day and age? And mm-hmm. we're no different than the people in Jesus' day and age that we're still seeking salvation, mm-hmm. even though we know it's in Jesus, but the devil tries to get us off that path to kind of divert and not go back on that path. Yeah, in in terms of like that first seeking, it's like a self-seeking, like you say, to elevate oneself or to make one smart or bright or better uh it's the elevation of self and here you know these disciples are intrigued by you know the message that john the baptist their previous you know teacher is saying well here's the guy who's going to take away the sin of the world and like that intrigued him enough to start following Which so lead him on the right path and as i was speaking and you were going it reminded me of and i've I don't know if I've read the whole thing. I've read bits and pieces. I know the Bible study I, I attend here on Saturday mornings, we've talked about this and read it and watched it, but The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. A little bit, yeah. And like how it's, you know, this person like, trying to get to like the certain, uh, the, like I can't remember what they call the place, but pretty much almost like heaven. But along the way, there's there's different things trying to take him off that path to divert him off of that path when he's seeking something else. And it speaks to our own life that, you know, the devil's trying to divert that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he wants us to concentrate on ourselves, our own feelings, being, you know, not not seeking outside of ourselves. Right, and I'm just kind of looking at, because some of the, like, the names of the people in uh, the Pilgrim Progress, you have the obstinate, that's a way to get us off track, being obstinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have... Help, which it says Christians rescuer from slaw of despond. So despondent, being despondent, that could be a way to get us off that track. Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy, that's a big one I think you see, especially in the church Mm -hmm. today. People now like, well, I don't want to be able to go to church that's full of hypocrites. Right. You know, we have that. uh, Piety, that could be another one, like we're kind of talking, lifting oneself up. Mm -hmm. Apollyon, which means the destroyer. That's exactly what the devil does. You have a pagan, so that's somebody not living in the faith. Envy, that's another way to get us off that path where we're just jealous of what everybody else has. Mm. Uh, Demis, which is a deceiver. The devil is a perfect deceiver to say, oh, this is the right path. You're on the right way, and then we get down that path, and then it's almost 
that were too far lost are like, well, how do I even get back yeah, on the trail? Yeah, how did I get here? I mean, yeah. I don't know if you can speak to that on some of the times when you've done Mondays are for the dogs mm-hmm. and you maybe lose track in the on those paths. Yeah, you're kind of like, how did we get there? How do we get back? Yep. Sometimes you got to rely on that GPS to, you know, remind you where you're at. Right. See, so, yeah, I don't know. That's just what kind of came to my mind as I was like talking about, thinking about this path and how we're trying to follow this path. Yet there's all these different things trying to divert us. And that's kind of what, to me, like what I've read and seen of the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think, what John the Baptist is really trying to, to let people know is like, look at this one. He's the one who has the right path. And so, and he goes on after, uh, in the beginning of the thing, he goes, after me comes a man who, who ranks before me um, because he was before me. And so he's like, you know, humbling himself and lifting up Jesus and pointing people to him. And uh, he goes, um, he goes, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, um, you know, he on whom the Spirit will descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that he is the Son of God. So in this season of Epiphany revealing, John is revealing that not only, you know, he is the Lamb of God, but he is the Son of God based upon what he saw when he baptized Jesus. And so it's like, hey, I've seen this. He is the right path. And so now he's telling his own disciples, follow that guy. Pointing to the right direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think about that, like, you know, like we talk, we've talked about in other cir- circumstances, that firsthand account, that eyewitness account. Mm-hmm. It's not like John saying, well, I heard somebody say they were there when he got baptized, and this is what they heard. No, this is what I saw with my two own eye, my own two eyes. Great, great point. Great point. Like I have seen and I have borne witness. You know, so there's that first person eyewitness testimony, unrefutable, right? Yeah. And uh, for sure. And uh, maybe that was part of what compelled you know the two disciples whom we later find out are Andrew and Simon Peter, right? Yeah. And uh, so and if you would think if they're already a follower of John. They're going to listen to what he's saying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can think of probably teachers you had at the seminary or that I had at the seminary, and maybe how they understand certain text. We're like, you know what? I liked how they interpret that. So I'm a follower of whatever their mm-hmm. teaching point is or how they teach that because I'm just a follower of that person, so to speak, a disciple. Makes total sense. Yeah. You're, you're, they're your teacher or, you know, in here or like, you know, a rabbi, but you're a learner, you're a follower. And so, yeah, you begin to uh, soak in the way they say things, the way they teach it, and you begin to adopt it yourself. Right. Like I was thinking of the not this past October, but October 2021 when we had our circuit, or not a circuit, but our pastor's conference up at Delavan, and we had Chad Foster, right? Pastor mm-hmm. Chad Foster was speaking, mm-hmm. and he was talking about this idea of the rabbi and how the followers would be so close that they would the dirt of their feet would kick up on them because they followed the, their rabbi so closely mm-hmm. and thinking, was well, that what's going on here? You know, that's how they viewed that teacher, that relationship. That's how close you are that when they walk, they kick up their dirt on you. Not that they're doing it to be mean, yeah. but you're just following that closely to what they're saying. Yeah, I don't know. Have, have you had any confirmation students following you that closely where, <sighs> you know, you're getting the, the dirt onto their shoes? 
I don't think so. Oh, I bet there are. I don't some. know. Do you feel that way for the new member class? Well, no, and and I don't know. I'd you know that whole thing. It'd be kind of weird. Why are you following me so closely? You know, <laughs> give me, you're give in my bubble. Yeah, you're in my bubble. You're get, my bubble. Get out of my bubble. <laughs> but it's just like I don't know. Like I never heard of that like illustration mm-hmm. until Chad used that at that conference. I was like, that's it. Puts you know that visual aspect in front of it, which I don't know. I always appreciate that. Well, and it shows an eagerness on the learner, right? right? On the student, like really just want to be there and not miss a thing. And and yeah, we have probably seen people who are really budding in the Lord and growing spiritually, how they're like right on it, you know, and uh, maybe seeking and asking questions of their pastor or right. something like that. And and it's a it's a joy to see like right. that enthusiasm around soaking in God's word. So yeah, that close proximity makes sense because he's he's really. Jesus comes on the scene as somebody absolutely new and different, you know, right. a different kind of a teacher. Right. And speaking from some experiences we had this past week, like, you know, we invite those conversations as pastors. Mm-hmm. We love having those conversations with people. It's nothing we want to shy away from because, I don't know, to me, that's some of the highlights of my ministry has been when, like, you see that light bulb click in somebody's head or turn on and where it's, like, all making sense. And then they just want to ask more questions and keep diving deeper. Yeah. Like uh, someone shared with me how it was really excellent that we spent some time remembering our baptism during the celebration of the baptism of Jesus and uh, how that really tied to them personally and with their family as they're uh, considering some of their family members to be baptized and so forth. So, yeah, uh, you know, just that, you know, I had been kind of talking with that person about stuff and... They brought it up, and it was reinforced by right. what we were doing in, in worship and how they felt like, wow, God's timing on this was just absolutely amazing. Right, which is awesome because, you know, when we were talking about that like in our conversations for worship, like, should we do this or should we do the standard just confessing our faith mm-hmm. of the apostles or Nicene Creed? And I was just kind of like, you know what? Good teaching moment. Yeah. And it ties to Jesus being baptized, so baptism is kind of a theme. So let's throw it out there as a teaching moment because... Can never get too many teaching moments. No, for sure. And and something as important as our baptism, a gift from our Lord, you know, to put um, His name upon us, where we get our identity and uh, the forgiveness of sins. You know, yeah. so um, it's just uh, life and salvation in Him. So it really was a great tie. So absolutely, that uh, that eager disciple, that eager follower, is really some somebody really awesome to see. And like you had said, even after the con, after church, we were in the parking lot. We had another kind of enlightening, great. Just trying uh, to understand, and mm-hmm. that's a great thing. Like that, I don't know if that was necessarily wrestling, but that whole idea of wrestling with our faith, I think, is an important thing because some people might think, "Oh, well, that means I don't believe if I'm wrestling." To me, that's mm-hmm. the complete opposite. That you're trying to understand and like wrestle with and try to understand it because. Let's be honest, the Bible isn't always easy. Faith isn't always easy to mm-hmm. understand. It's a lot of confusing topics. And so, like, it, that's where why there are pastors and more learned people. So to help us and to bounce off ideas like, well, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of see where they're at and kind of, drawing it back to our text, get them kind of like, well, here's that path. Get them back maybe on that path, even though they're not completely off. But like, hey, I know you're over here wrestling, but here's kind of the path back to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, 
It is good to to wrestle with God's word. I think that's what God wants us to do because when we're wrestling with it, it's becoming our own, right? right? Like you, you know, I don't think, you know, God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit just want you to like, you know, open your mouth and like take it all in and not, not digest it, inwardly digest, right? That's what, um, you know, we're called to do in his word is to chew on it, inwardly digest, make it our own. And that way we withstand the day of challenge, the day of temptation, um, rather than like finding ourselves in it. We like, well, where's that person who I know? Where's my teacher? Where's my pastor? Where's my parent? Where's this person I know is really strong. I need to get to them. No, you can stand on your own. And then you, know. you can disciple somebody on your own as well. Amen. And that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. And before we maybe dive into that a little bit, you know, saying the whole idea of like, so as we wrestle with our faith and we know where we stand in our faith, we want others to have that faith, especially if we have a strong faith. If you have a strong faith, you're like, man, I want this person in my life to have that same type of faith. Yet we can't just say, here, here's what I believe, believe like me. Mm-hmm. Like they have to make it their own. Yeah. And, um, just just this past Saturday, we had a family event, and one of my family members, uh, you know, who is new to our family, he was asking questions about, you know, what does epiphany mean and all this and that. And so while we were going to, to you know, get some chairs for the event, we had time in the car, and we were kind of talking about things. And so he was asking me questions, and I was trying to give good answers. And, uh, and it was all about, like, you know, various things around Christmas and you know, the Christmas narrative and stuff like that. So it was really cool to see him asking questions and, and like, and I was hoping I'm giving good answers. Like, so, because, you know, you, like you said, you get so excited to share your faith. You want people in your life to feel that as well. And, uh, so at one point I'm like, well, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little too deep or maybe I sound too preachy, but I'm just excited that you're asking the question. They're like, no, 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 this is good. This is helpful. And so when you see that in a person, like they're really digging, they're really seeking after it. Uh, that is exciting. Right. And that's the whole point is we're getting at with the discipling that, you know, where you want to be disciples who make disciples. Mm-hmm. We don't want to just stop with ourselves or those that we share our faith with, because that's what the whole like idea was. We've talked about with the re campaign, with our ones is trying to be disciples who make disciples. Cause that's what it's all about. Cause God gave each of us, that great commission to live out in our life, to make disciples by baptizing them, teaching them, and all that I've taught them. And I mean, I don't know, to me, that is a great joy when you see somebody passing on that legacy of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was our 150th kind of theme for our 150th exactly. anniversary, living a legacy of faith, where we can look back to the legacy of the previous generations of Emmanuel. And maybe if you haven't been a member of Emmanuel a long time, you can look to your own family like, oh, I see how that legacy of faith has passed on. And I want to be a part of that and leave my faith on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's what our one is all about. Our one um, kind of concept is all about, you know, just inviting people to, as Jesus said, come and see. Right. You know, um, he's like, well, he, their answer to his question, what, do you, what, or, what are you seeking? And they're like, well, where are you staying? That implied that they, were, they really wanted to hang out with them. Well, come and see. He didn't like say, well, I'm staying down there for three days, and then I'm going here, and then I'm doing this. I got all these plans. He's just like, come and see. Experience and see. And I think that's 
what we're kind of getting at is like that self-experience of discovering Jesus, finding out more about God, getting into his word, and letting God guide you through that is is how one's faith becomes their own. Right, and as you were speaking, it's kind of, I was thinking about how like when we share our faith, you know, some people are scared to do that because mm-hmm. they don't know how people are going to react and they don't want to offend or they don't want, don't just know how somebody's going to react or respond. I started thinking about like, you know, I love music, I love movies and all those things. I'm like, if there's a band that you like or a movie or a TV show, you want to tell people about that so they can experience it as well. Right. You're not like, oh, I don't know, should I share with this person about this? What if they don't like it? No, we're like, hey, I want to share with this. has been this awesome band I saw or this band I've been listening to or mm-hmm. you should need to go to the theaters to see this or watch this TV show. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid there. No. But when it comes to our faith, we're like, eh, I don't want to, yeah, I'm a little afraid. Don't know. But I mean, don't want to sa- offend. Right. <laughs> the same like zeal that we have for wanting to share one of those things or even a restaurant or a recipe or a food. Mm-hmm. That's the same type of attitude we need to have when it comes to sharing our faith. Well, and and we do see how when people invite someone to, whether it's a church service or maybe a special Christmas concert or some event at the church, uh, maybe it's a meal or a fun time, and they just say, hey, you want to come and see? You want to come? I mean, it's going to be fun. I can tell you all about it, but I think I just want you to experience that and, um, you know, a lot of times you hear stories about like, hey, I made, I invited someone and they really liked it. Right. You know, and like just in that alone, the invite, they came, they enjoyed, uh, that should be a cause enough to rejoice. And right. like, hopefully they'll come again. But like... Cause yeah, because nothing beats that real life experience. Like, you know, kind of connecting with sports, like I do love hockey but there's nothing like going to a hockey game in person. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch on TV, yeah, it's fun. At least I think it is. But when you go see it in person, I don't know. It just opens up the game so much more. Where I'm like, hockey is an amazing sport. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that. I don't think compared to like I mean football. I don't know. Maybe because of the weather element. I'm like, I'm good just watching a football game from my house. Even yeah. though I like going to the stadium. I mean, yeah. it's fun because you have that atmosphere. You feel built up. You feel that community, mm-hmm. especially if you're at your home. You're cheering on your home team. Yeah, and that's the same with church. Like you feel built up, you have that sense of camaraderie with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I was watching Everybody Loves Raymond last night. You know the old reruns, and uh, uh, Ray got uh, two tickets to the Super Bowl for his job, and oh, he was so excited he's going to the Super Bowl. And then his friend Gianni was there watching football with him, as well as. You know, Robert, his brother, and Frank, his dad, and and um, you know, his friend. mom and his wife, Deb, were in the kitchen, and he gets this news, like, wow, I got two tickets, you know, the Super Bowl, and Gianni's standing there, and he turns to Gianni, his friend, he's like, hey, you want to go with me? He's like, oh, wow, we're go- I'm going to the Super Bowl. So, like, all this, like, he was so excited that he was going imagine, to the Super Bowl. I can only Bowl. imagine Robert's response. Well, as all this excitement is ensuing... They show Robert and Frank standing right at the doorway from the living room to the kitchen, and they're just staring at at, at Ray. Staring daggers. Yeah, from. yeah. And then even Deb was like, you know, looking at him. And so Gianni's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go home and do this and that." And they're like, "Yeah, thanks for inviting me to the Super Bowl." And then Ray, 
where he turns around and he sees them and he goes, I think I'll just stand here until they go away. You know? So, so they, there was some, you know, well, how come you didn't invite me? I'm your own father. Or I'm your brother. And then Deb goes, well, I would have liked to gone. And so then ensues this chaotic thing when they, they do go, but like, yeah, like here, Ray invites someone to the Super Bowl, and there's a line of people who are like, I want to go. Right. You know, imagine if like we had someone that we invited to come to see Jesus at worship, and there was a line of people who said, Well, why'd you invite them? I want to go too. Right. You don't need a ticket to come <laughs> yeah, to church. I know. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. But um, so here, the disciples, Simon and Andrew, you know, they, they're ready to go and see. And that's really all that Jesus uh, offers to us. He's like, "Hey, I want you to, I want you to see this firsthand. I want you to come along." And then he he has every confidence that you'll be intrigued, you'll be compelled by him. Do you and, want to keep checking it out, and as you do that, you start to grow and mm-hmm. like understand things more, and then you know you're that budding Christian. Exactly, and uh, so um, maybe we can take a, a, a page. From you know Jesus, you know reply, come and see, and maybe we can look as you were getting at too. Like, what are we seeking after? It's a good introspective question about looking. Like, what are we seeking every day in our life? Like, what is what are we looking to feed us? Are we looking for Christ to feed us or some worldly thing that makes us feel good for the moment? And is what we're receiving from Christ in our relationship? worthy of inviting someone else right you know so can we be part of that faith legacy that you're talking about like every one of us has someone in our life who invited us or or introduced us to jesus right so uh, that's pretty cool to be a part of and when you think about like what greater joy is it going to be than when we get to heaven and that person that you introduced to jesus is there Mm. I don't know, but that to me seems like that would be the coolest feeling to have in the whole wide world. Yeah, exactly. That will be uh, quite a thing for sure. Well, friends, thanks for listening to PD and I kick this around a little bit. We hope that you've been blessed by it, and uh, we certainly hope you'll have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm-hmm.